Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Catholics with Bibles, the podcast dedicated to empowering Catholics to read, interpret, and pray with sacred scripture with the eyes of faith and reason. I am your host, Chase Krause. Let's dive in. What is cracking, everybody? What's good? Welcome to Catholics with Bibles. As always, I'm your host, Chase Krause, and we are plugging away in our Bible study kind of a Bible study, uh, we're journeying with St. John Paul II and his man and woman, he created them in Theology of the Body. And this week, uh, it's a little bit different this week, and I was actually really discerning, like, you know, did I want to record this type of episode this week, uh, or did I want to skip ahead? Because in this section of man and woman, he created them, it's kind of the end section of this part two, the second section, the second big section. Um, there, he doesn't do much... Uh, biblical interpretation or scriptural study, you know, insofar as he's not like, you know, going through a passage at the fine tooth comb. He's really kind of diving into some philosophy, some theology, um, and kind of giving a hermeneutical foundation of, you know, the the modern problem of our approach to sexuality. Um, and, you know, once again, I was just thinking, like, you know, do I want to do this? Because it's not really, you know, Bible. This is Catholics with Bible podcast. You know, I was prepping for this this week. Um, but this section, honestly, is just so good. And it's so juicy. You know, if you ever, like, if you ever hear me say that word juicy, by the way, um, it's because, like, you know, like, if you ever get, like, a really good steak, this is being from Texas, where steak is, is king. Um, and it's, like, a nice, juicy steak. And you just kind of, like, chew on it and, like, savor it. It's like, man, like sometimes like when you get to a certain passage or certain idea and you just like want to chew on it, right? Like it's so good. Like it's, you know, you go, when you ever listen to a talk and you ever go, mm, like you get that, like that little verbal, like, you know, grunt um, of, of, a, of a sense essentially, or, you know, when you get super charismatic and be like, can I get an amen? You say, amen. Um, it's like, oh, it's so, ju- it's, a, it's juicy steak. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so this entire section is just so good, y'all. It's such juicy steak. I couldn't not do an episode on it. Um, even though like if, you, if you're watching this, you know, I don't have a Bible in front of me. I just have the man when we created text. Um, and it's, it's just so, so important and it's so good. And, and I think part of the reason it's, I, I love it so much is because in this section, we're really starting to get to some like practicals of like, you know, what, what should we do? Uh, you know, how does this affect our line of thoughts and all these things? And, 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 I think part of the reason I think it's so important and why I'm convicted about this and why I love theology of the body is I think it's our responsibility as Catholic Christians, and especially if you're a parent, as parents, to know this material, know it really, really well, and help our kids know it well. Uh, Especially, especially, especially if your kids go to public school, y'all. Man, the public school system is such garbage. Um, Maybe maybe your your school district isn't as bad as ours. Uh, we're in Austin, Texas here, um, which blue bonds are starting to come out, which is really beautiful. But anyway, um, and AISDs, their their school district is just such garbage. And if you're listening to this and you go to AISD, not trying to offend you, um, the reason I think the AISD and some other school districts that kind of follow their lead, why I think they're they're just garbage and honestly just teach intrinsically evil things, is their is their new sex ed curriculum. Um, just as an, an example, uh, you know, starting in like third grade, they're teaching the, the gender-bred person, right? It's like a gender-bred, not, not a gender-bred man, a gender-bred person. And they're teaching, ident- uh, you know, basically 
the difference between like who you are, your sexuality and like your gender. It's like, they're not the same thing you get to choose and a bunch of just gender ideology bull crap, you know? Um, and it's just garbage. It is just garbage. Um, if anybody like, so my, my kids, you know, I have a daughter who's two about to be two and a son who's just three months old. Um, but I can't, I couldn't even, I don't even know what I would do. Well, I have an idea of what I would do. Um, but if they were in third grade and somebody tried to, to cram this uh, ideology down their throats, I would be livid. Like, how, how dare you think you have the right to form my kids intellectually? And this is kind of a more of a big, kind of a more of a governmental problem too, is, you know, what role does the government have in the formation and the education of our children? Because in the Catholic understanding, this is Catholic social teaching, parents are the primary educators of their children in everything in particular faith but everything parents are the primary educators of their children um and so with aic's approach and not even i mean they're not the only ones this is not like something they invented they're following a bunch of these liberal isd agendas of teaching this gender ideology to kids like to kids and like it gets worse in middle school it gets worse in high school um and I think it's our responsibility to know the theology of the body well, know the theology and the philosophy behind it in order to equip and strengthen our kids, especially if they go to public schools. But y'all, I mean, if you're listening to this and you send your kid to public school, I, you know, I encourage you to do one of two things. The first thing is what I just said. I mean, know this material, like live this material, live the spirituality of theology of the body go to the Theology Body Institute in Philadelphia or do the online, they're the online course with Christopher West. Know and live this material and make sure your kids know it and live it as well, especially if they're going to stay in public school. Um, the second thing I would, I would ask you to consider is, is to pull them out of public school, right? There's so many good schools, y'all. And, and you, you just here in Austin, you know, there's a great, you know, private Catholic school, uh, Dominic Savio, um, they're awesome. They're orthodox. They do a super good job. I don't know. I know one of the things that I like a lot of people are scared of is, you know, oh, if they don't go to a public school, they won't have access to all the sports and the theater and the extracurriculars. And, and to a certain extent, that's right. A lot of the, the smaller private schools won't have as many, but Dominus Javier has tons, right? Tons. Um, but even, you know, maybe a concern is I can't afford private school. Um, there's an awesome charter school called Valor charter school. It's a publicly funded charter school, but it doesn't teach the AISD garbage curriculum. I have a lot of awesome Orthodox Catholic friends that send their kids to Valor. There's one, I think up in Cedar Park and there's one in South Austin as well. So it's publicly funded. Um, it's like a going to a public school essentially, but not without the, all the liberal mumbo jumbo. Um, so look into Valor, right? Or look into a co-op, right? Regina Celli, Regina Mater. Um, it's great co-ops with amazing Orthodox faculty and staff. In great families, right? Great families where, you know, you can send your kids there and you don't have to worry about them, you know, coming home and having seen like porn or something awful at school when they're like in second grade. Um, and so, you know, that tangent basically being for the reason of, you know, parents, like, please just either no one, I mean, no one live this either way, no matter what you do. Um, but man, especially if, if your kids go to public school, it is just, especially here in Austin. And there's some school districts that don't do this, right? Um, which are, I mean, are more kind of tr uh, conservative school districts. Praise God that they, some of them still exist at least. Um, but they're, they're falling by the wayside. And even these more conservative school districts, you know, this, this stuff is coming up. Um, and 
quite frankly, as a parent, I don't want to have to be terrified of my kids going to school. So I'm going to send them to a school where I don't have to be terrified of them going to school, right? Um, my, my children's soul is more important than the convenience of where their school's at or how much it costs, right? Um, my kid's salvation as a, as a father is my, one of my top priorities, mine being my first priority, my wife's being my second priority, my kids being my third priority, right? You being a holier person makes your family holier. And as a father or as a mother, that's your primary responsibility is to get your kid to heaven. I don't, you know, I don't care what my kids do for a living. I hope they discern vocation. I hope they, they take the time to consider um, the priesthood or the religious life or the consecrated single life as well as marriage. Um, I just want them to enter a vocation where they're loving and serving the Lord. I care less what they do for a living, right? As long as they're glorifying the Lord with their lives. Um, so all that is because this week we're, we're diving into a bit of this more philosophy, ethics, ethos of this section of theology of the body. Um, in particular, this week, JP2, he, he's diving into what's called Manichaeism, which is the early heresy of the church. If you haven't studied the heresies of the church, I really encourage you to, to look into them. You can Google like Catholic church heresies. There's a ton. There's a ton of heresies that the church has formally denounced, right? A lot of times, you know, if you don't know them, you might accidentally fall into them, not calling you a heretic, but sometimes it happens on accident, right? Uh, because a lot of these heresies were started by usually well-intentioned like Catholics who just erred, right? And then unfortunately, after the church tried to correct them in their error, a lot of them didn't renounce their error and trust the church's magisterium. Um, so Manichaeism was we talking about, and the Greek word of the day, I didn't forget about it. You thought I forgot about it. I didn't forget about it. The Greek word of the day is gnosis, right? Gnosis. And this is uh, really, really important for Manichaeism. Gnosis is the word for knowledge. And you can kind of hear the word knowledge in gnosis, like gnosis, knowledge. That's the same, that's where we get the word knowledge from is gnosis. Um, and it's this idea, and this Manichaeism has its roots in Eastern thought and also Platonic thought as well. Um, basically the thought of Manichaeism, and we've kind of talked about this before, is this platonic thought of matter, bad, spirit, good, right? Matter, bad, spirit, good. Um, and, and for Manichaeism, there's like this three stages of time. There's like the, the beginning where matter and spirit were totally separated and everything was ordered properly. And then there was like the, the middle time, which is now, which is matter and spirit have mixed, um, due to, uh, and that's that's an, that's evil, right? Because matter is evil intrinsically for Manichaeism and, and, and Platonic thought. And then there's the end time when like all spirits will be released from their matter and everything will be reestablished. Um, and so Gnosis for Manichaeism is this like hidden knowledge that they're searching for, right? Because knowledge for the Manichaeism for the Manichaeist will will free them. So knowledge is what's going to free them from the bonds of this material world and their body, right? So the secret gnosis is what they're all searching for. Um, and so uh, this idea uh, got kind of caught roots within some uh, Christian uh, schools of thought in the, in the early church. And so it influenced how they read scripture and how they saw theology and how they how, what their philosophy was. And so JP2 is actually talking about it here, it's actually in a footnote, which is crazy. So if you ever read Men and Women, He Created Them, read the footnotes. The footnotes are so, so good, y'all. It's like, it's so good. I can't even understand why it's, it's, why it's not in the main text. I mean, I know why it's not in the main text, but it's so good. Read the footnotes. Um, and so he's, so JP2 actually talks about like the Manichaeist line of thought. And so what I'm about to read is, is this, these quote unquote Christian Manichaeists um, 
talking about breaking open like how their platonic matter bad spirit good thought uh, affected their view of Christianity the Bible. So he says this about them, right? And while I'm reading it too, you'll, you'll be able to pick up like, whoa, that's weird, or whoa, that's messed up, or like, that's not true. Um, this is what he says. He says, Adam and Eve were begotten by two demons. Check that out, right? Our species was born from a series of repugnant acts of cannibalism and sexuality, and it always carries the signs of this diabolical origin, namely the body, which was formed by some archons of hell and, quote, libido which pushes man to co co copulate and reproduce and thus to keep the luminous soul always in prison. Um, so before I go on, for the Manichaeist, uh, there's really two great evils for the Christian Manichaeist, right? The, the first one is just the bo body as such, matter as such. And the second one is, is quote-unquote libido or this uh, sexual desire, uh, which we're going to talk about in a little bit when it comes to eros, right? Um, and that's evil. And so the true Manichaeus would be, would be celibate, would renounce all sexual desire, all passions. Why? Because passions are rooted in feeling and you only feel through your body, right? And therefore anything related to the body must be evil, including feelings, because we feel with our feelings through the body. Um, so he continues. If he wishes to be saved, man must seek to free his living self, quote unquote, the nos, from the flesh of the body. Since the supreme expression of matter is concupiscence, the capital sin lies in sexual union, which is brutality and bestiality and which turns men into instruments and accomplices of evil through procreation. So right from the Manichaeus, procreation in and of itself is evil. Why? Because it's rooted to the body. And by procreating, you're helping to trap more souls in matter, which is for them intrinsically evil, right? So last little section here. The elect constitute the group of the perfect, whose virtue has an ascetical character, namely, practicing the abstinence commanded by the three quote-unquote seals. The seal of the mouth prohibits all cursing and commands abstinence from meat, from blood, from wine, and all alcoholic drinks, as well as fasting. The, the quote seal of the hands commands respect for the life, the light, that is enclosed in bodies and seeds and trees and prohibits the gathering of fruits, tearing of plants and taking of the life of men or animals. The quote seal of the womb commands total continence. So on the surface, you know, the Manichaeus, like from just looking at, almost looked like they were just super ascetic, right? They looked like um, these ascetical, like desert fathers and monks. And that's what it looks like, right? Because, you know, they were abstinent. They were, you know, they you know, didn't, uh, you know, they fasted all the time. They, you know, they were, they strove for this, this bodily purity. But the problem is why they strove for the bodily purity, right? Why? They, because they, their reason for doing it was because they viewed the body as evil. And so why is JP2 bringing this up, right? Why does he bring it up in this section? It's because this section is called the heart, accused or called. Because within this section of, of Matthew 5, of studying Matthew 5, when Jesus is studying the phrase, if a, if a man looks at a woman to desire her in a reductive way, then he has already committed adultery in his heart, right, in his heart. So JP2 is asking one of two questions. The first question is, is the heart accuser called, right? Is this passage accusing the human heart or is it calling it to something greater? And the second question, which we're going to a little bit talk about today, maybe next week too, is after answering this first question, what then? What is a person supposed to do or what should a person do 
in light of all of this, right? In light of all of this. So this Manichaeism, it's, you know, matter in prison, knowledge frees, right? And so it's a, a, a condemnation of the body, really, right? It's a condemnation of the body. And so this Manichaeist, even though it was condemned by the church, Manichaeism was condemned by the church, it found its way in various forms within Christianity still. Uh, in particular, I think the way that's the most, uh, I guess, practical for us is uh, Puritans, right? You see this a lot in, in, the, in the Protestant group. That doesn't really exist anymore, but their influence exists for sure. A Puritanism, right? Puritanism, you know, was body bad, spirit good, alcohol bad, spirit good, sex bad, spirit good. You know, it's, it's this idea that um, the body in and of itself is evil, right? And our, and our goal is to escape our bodies and be united with God, right? Um, and it's this accusation of the body. So this is a section, you know, is the, heart, is the heart accused or called? Well, in one reading, you know, of Matthew 5, where even, you know, Jesus talks about, you know, if, if your right hand causes you to sin, you know, cut it off. Um, if your right eye causes you to sin, you know, tear it out. Better to you, for you to go into heaven uh, maimed than enter into hell, you know, with all of your members. And so th this approach is, is, is reading this as an accusation of the heart, right? But JP2 says that's, that's a misreading of it. And so he says this, the human heart is accused of concupiscence or if it is put on guard against the concupiscence. At the same time, and by the same words, it is called to discover the full meaning of that which, in the act of concupiscence, constitutes for it a value not sufficiently appreciated. As we know, Christ said, whoever looks at a woman to desire her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Adultery committed in the heart can and should be understood as a devaluation or impoverishment of an authentic value, as an intentional privation of that dignity to which the integral value of her femininity corresponds in the person in question. So what is, what is this? The, it, it's, it's not for JP2. It's not an act. It's not merely an accusation. Christ accuses the man of concupiscence, right? Which we talked about last week, the week before. Christ accuses the man of concupiscence, but primarily he's calling us to understand that when we do this, we're just not seeing the full picture. We're not seeing our full dignity. He goes on to say, the call to master concupiscence of the flesh springs precisely from an affirmation of the personal dignity of the body and of sex and only serves such dignity. Anyone who wants to see a Manichaean perspective in these words would be committing an essential error. So once again, the body is not evil. God created it and created it very good, right? So it's this understanding that, that we're, we're not, when you know, Jesus says these words, he's not saying them to accuse the body. He's not saying them to condemn the body. He's saying them to accuse and condemn this man of concupiscence, right? The, the old self, which St. Paul says must die in order to live our new life in Christ, so it's not an accusation. It's rather a call. So it's called. It 
It's called to be what? It's called to be a manifestation of the spirit, right? You are your body. You can't distinguish who you are as a person from your body. Your body manifests your spirit, right? Your body manifests your spirit. So whenever you do something physically, it's just showing in a physical way the state of your soul in that moment, right? Not that your soul is evil or messed up. Um, and so the heart, you know, it's, it's not accused. And he goes on to say this, it is important that precisely in his heart, he does not feel himself irrevocably accused and give it up to the concupiscence of the flesh, but that in the same heart, he feels himself called with energy, called precisely to this supreme value, which is love called as a person in the truth of his humanity and thus also in the truth of his masculinity and femininity in the truth of his body, called in that truth which has been his inheritance of the beginning, the inheritance of his heart, which is deeper than the sinfulness inherited, deeper than the threefold concupiscence, Christ's words set in the whole reality of creation and redemption, reactivate that deepest inheritance and give it a real power in human life. So we're called to see that the true value of a person. And I think JP2 lived this out so well. There's a story I heard from Bishop Brom, uh, Bishop Emeritus Brom of San Diego, of, uh, and I might have told this story in the podcast before, but I'll say it again, of when he was a young priest in, uh, I think he said in the 60s or 70s, no, in the 70s, um, maybe early 80s. He went to Rome after his ordination and he, no, it must've been the sixties anyway. Um, and he was walking around the Vatican and, um, he stumbled into then, uh, Cardinal Carol Wojtyla. And so, uh, apparently they just, they briefly chatted, you know, and, you know, they were in line waiting to see, uh, you know, uh, somebody, I guess, important in line for dinner or something like that, but you're in the story. Um, but anyway, it wasn't, it wasn't a terribly long conversation according to, uh, Bishop Brown. And then, you know, many, many years later, after Bishop Brahm is ordained a bishop, JP2 is, is the Pope, he goes back to Rome for bishop school, for baby bishop school, they call it, um, and uh, they get a chance to, to meet the Pope. And so uh, Pope JP2 is a little bit older at this point. And so anyway, as, as Pope St. John Paul II is kind of going around meeting all the new bishops, he, he stops at Bishop Brahm and says, you know, have we met before? And Bishop Brahm apparently forgetting that he met Carol Wojtyla like 30 years before, uh, says, oh no, Holy Father, like we definitely never met. Like I would definitely remember if I met you because like you're Carol Wojtyla, Pope John Paul II, how could I ever forget that? Um, and you know, Pope John Paul II says, huh, okay. You look so familiar, okay. And later that evening, they were having dinner and the Pope leaves his table, approaches Bishop Brahm and says, Vatican Courtyard, 19, whatever the year was. Uh, we met before this audience or dinner or whatever. Um, and Bishop Brahm in that moment kind of just stops and was like, whoa, yeah, we did meet. I remember that. And I say this because Pope James Bond II lived this reality of seeing the infinite value of each person, right? He's, he's renowned for, for remembering names and faces, and I think that's a, it's a calling on ourselves, right? Um, and so this is important because this next section, which we're not going to spend too, too much time on, um, 
Christopher West actually has a really great book called Eros and Agape, um, which you can dive more into this. It's actually studying Pope Benedict's uh, first encyclical. Um, but this next section, you know, JP2 gets into to Eros and Ethos, right? And so Eros, which is another Greek word, uh, is, is the stem of the word erotic, right? Um, but Eros has been butchered and uh, manipulated in today's culture, right? Eros is not merely a sexual urge, right? So once again, in the, in the footnotes, uh, JP2 says this. Eros is, in fact, the orientation of the sensual or sensory man towards the transcendent, the power that directs the soul towards the world of ideas. So this is um, him quoting Plato, right? So Plato talked about Eros. Um, and so for, for Plato's understanding of Eros, Eros is the drive which motivates our bodies to the transcendent, right? To the transcendent. And so Eros, understanding in this sense, is the drive in man towards the transcendent still, towards God. So for the Manichaean approach to Christianity and Catholicism and sexuality, Eros is always evil. The sexual urge is always intrinsically evil. Why? Because it's physical and it's, it's just trying to get you to sin and it's trying to get you to, to you know, uh, commit adultery and to fall into all these carnal appetites, right? That are necessarily sinful because the body is sinful. But for JP2, if we have the proper understanding of Eros, right? Then we, we know it, it's, it's a gift from God because it, it is one of the driving forces that drives us towards the transcendent. This last quote here. Further, if the word of Matthew 5 represents such a call, right, then this means that in the erotic sphere, eros and ethos do not diverge. Remember, ethos is like ethics, right? It's, so it's the, the culture of the time, the ethics of the time, the, the, and even, even within Christianity and Catholicism. So eros and ethos do not diverge, are not opposed to each other, but are called to meet in the human heart and to bear fruit in this meeting. What is worthy of the human heart is that the form of the erotic is at the same time the form of the ethos, that is, of that which is ethical. So what's the goal? What's our goal? Is to understand and to pray and to beg that the Holy Spirit changes our hearts and minds so that way we understand that this drive, right, this, this eros is meant to go hand in glove, hand in hand, with ethos, with our ethics, right? So your heart and mind should be so transformed that you have a drive for holiness, that you have a drive for sanctification, that you have a drive to spread this message of theology of the body, right? To understand and be motivated to not see somebody as an object to be used, but as a person of infinite value to be loved. And so I, I did not do justice um, to, to this section at all, I don't think. Um, but, you know, there's so much that can be said. And, and you know, I'm try, I always try to keep these podcasts under 30 minutes. Um, but man, y'all, Eros and Ethos 
are meant to meet in the human heart. That's juicy steak, man. If, if that's not juicy steak, I don't know what is. Um, chew on that for a little bit. Pray on that. Pray that the Holy Spirit may help you to see eros and ethos meeting in your own heart, that that drive may be ordered towards holiness because the drive is a gift from God. It is not evil in and of itself. We are not Manichaeans. We're not Puritans. We are Catholics and we are our bodies. So until next time, y'all, God bless. Once again, thank you so much for joining me on Catholics with Bibles and this study of man and woman created them a theology of the body. Until next time, y'all, God bless.